So we'll begin with reading together again a passage that we should be becoming more familiar with, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. I'm sorry, I don't know the page number today, but it's towards the back. So hear the word of the Lord from Colossians chapter chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. And these are the ways you also once followed when you were living that life. But now you must get rid of all such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourselves with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free. But Christ is all. And in all. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must Forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. And we turn now to the Confession of Belhar or the Belhar Confession. It can be used in either way. These will be found in your pew pockets there in front of you. And if you wouldn't mind putting them back there, that'd be great because we'll keep using these for the next number of weeks. And today we're going to look at Article 1, so number 1 and number 5. So the first little paragraph on the front and the last little section on the back today. 
And they're short enough so I think that we can say them together. So join me. We believe in the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who gathers, protects, and cares for the church through word and spirit. This God has done since the beginning of the world and will do to the end. And then we turn to the back. And I recognize that you don't know all these things that you're just saying right now that you're going to do, but we'll get there. So we believe that in obedience to Jesus Christ, its only head, the church is called to confess and to do all these things, even though the authorities and human laws might forbid them and punishment and suffering be the consequence. So we'll skip all those verses saying them, and we'll say, Jesus is Lord to the one and only God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Be the honor and the glory forever and ever. So the former president of Calvin Theological Seminary, Uh, reminds us that from biblical times to the present, Christians have united the church, have fought heresy, have testified to others, have defied persecution, have taught newcomers, and worshiped God, all by the use of these things called creeds and confessions, catechisms, canons, and testimonies. So even if we are not familiar with them, These are things that have been part of the church for a very long time. In fact, uh, they're rooted in biblical practices. One of the things that we just said as we read the Confession of Belhar, Article 5, Jesus is Lord, was one of the earliest creeds, something that was repeated in public by Christians, proclaimed, helping them to identify who else was Christian among them as a way of worshiping God in their worship and their small house churches as they as the church began to grow and develop. We also know we read on Christmas Day together, Philippians chapter 2, that high priestly hymn that talks about how Jesus humbled himself and took on our likeness, becoming like a slave, and is now seated at the right hand of God where, God, where he's being worshipped and glorified, that Philippians 2 passage. That's another example of a biblical creed. Things that the early church, before they had the scriptures, before they had the scriptures, they actually had, as one book, they actually had these creeds, these sayings. Another scriptural example comes from Second Timothy, uh, 1 Timothy. And I'll just read it to you. Without any doubt, the mystery of our religion is great. And now here's the creed. He, that's Jesus, he was revealed in flesh, vindicated in spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among Gentiles, believed in in throughout the world, and taken up in glory. Well, did that solve any of the mystery to you? What it does do, what creeds do, is they try to capture the grand story in summary form. 
and the creeds that we are perhaps more familiar with, such as the Apostles' Creed, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, who suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead, and he ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from where he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. <laughs> I tried to go through it quickly on purpose, uh, but because we have a lot to talk about today. Uh, so I will not repeat it again, but you can find it pretty easily online or in our hymnal books downstairs in the library. But again, you hear the whole story, right, about who Jesus is being captured in the smallest possible way uh, to kind of capture what it is that we believe, to sweep us up into the larger story. So creeds, in particular, the Nicene, the Athanasian, and the Apostles' Creed, the ones that we as a church adhere to, are all about who Jesus was right? They were born as the early church was developing out of this trying to understand the mystery that is the incarnation, the mystery that is the changing of the story of God's work in this world. And so we gathered as communities of people to talk about those things and came to some points of agreement. So Christians, no matter who they are, for the most part, follow and agree with and can say the Apostles' Creed to be able to call themselves Christian, right? They're the uniting force. Then we have this thing called confessions, like what our Belhar confession is. It's not just us confessing our sins, though a lot of times these sorts of confessions help to highlight our sinfulness and help us to see the ways in which we need to live differently as God's witnesses in the world. But we also confess with our mouths what we believe in a positive sense. We proclaim what we believe. And so confessions, the Reformed confessions, Help us to understand what it means to be someone who believes in a particular lens or bent, who put on the reformed glasses when they read scripture, for instance. So this is the place where a lot of us will find that we interpret things differently. Like we think something different is happening at the Lord's Supper than our Baptist brothers and sisters do or our Pentecostal brothers and sisters do. And our confessions help us to understand that difference, at least from our point of view. Confessions are also these documents that come from particular moments in the church's history. So just like creeds were born because people were trying to figure out who Jesus was and who, who is this man that is also God that we are worshiping and what does all that mean? The creeds, the confessions, excuse me, are also born out of this need to teach one another to proclaim and help other people to understand us, so teach other people as well, to be united in what we believe so that we know what we believe, and also to defy persecution. So, for instance, the Belgic Confession was the result of Reformed Christians being lumped together with other kinds of Christians who were not so well-respected in the community, in the community. In the, in the, 
in the country. And so they wrote the Belgic Confession to explain who the Reformed Christians were against other groups of believers because they were trying to prove that they were really good citizens and should therefore be respected in this place. The Canons of Dort is a, is a confession that we have that is perhaps the least familiar uh, to us because we haven't used it as much as we've used the other ones. But the Canons of Dort were written to try to establish again who it is and what it is that Jesus was about and how salvation comes to God's people. So again, it was born out of this controversy and this conversation and the people gathered together to say, what can we be united on? What can we be united on in believing? And then the last confession that we have in the church is called the the Heidelberg Catechism. And the catechism is a teaching tool, a question and answer that many of us are very familiar with because we grew up in catechism classes. And we even use the catechism here downstairs in our Sunday school material. So your children are being catechized in the Reformed faith. Many of us know that first question and answer very well, right? What is my only comfort in life and in death that I am not my own, but I belong and life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who has fully paid for all my sins and has bought me with his precious blood. And it goes on to speak other beautiful, beautiful truths. The Heidelberg Catechism is situated on the Lord's Prayer, on the Ten Commandments, and on the Apostles' Creed, helping us to understand what it is we believe when we say those things, helping us to understand this grand picture, and helping us to understand... The mist a little bit. It doesn't try to solve the mystery, but help us to understand a little bit the mystery that is the work of God in our midst and in this world throughout time. So the Heidelberg Catechism, the Canons of Dort, the Belgic Confession, those are our historic documents. They're very hard to change, and they are scripturally rooted So that's the other thing. The creeds and the catechisms are all rooted in scripture. And they do things that the Colossians passage that we have read help us to do with one another. So they help us to teach and admonish one another with all wisdom because they are the collection of the wisdom of the church guided by the Holy Spirit in community with one another. They help us to express that unity to which indeed we were called in the one body. Another passage from Colossians, right? They help us to understand what standard, and these are fancy words, but don't stop listening, orthodoxy and orthopraxy are. Basically, they help us to understand the wisdom that is what is right to believe and what is right to do. So right practice and right belief. They help us to understand those things as they call out Scripture's core teachings, not just about God, but about us and the way we live. And they are statements. So that, that helps us to know that when we do everything in the name of the Lord, we do it giving thanks to God our Father, right? And it also helps us to put to death 
the old self and its practices and to clothe ourselves with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator, which is Jesus Christ. Those people who wrote the creeds and the confessions, and in particular, I can say the Belhar Confession as well, wrote these documents with the intent to give God all of the glory and the honor and the praise and to try to help other believers to live that story of glory and honor and praise. And so finally, the confessions and the creeds, they help us as testimony to what we believe. They are statements of identity, just as that question of question and answer one does. What, what is my only comfort but that I am not my own? That's a statement of identity. The Apostles' Creed. I believe. I am one who believes in someone outside of myself, the omnipotent God. And in particular, we're going to see that the Belhar Confession is a document that helps us to live this truth of our identity. That in Jesus, in that renewal of our life together, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. So we have these documents, and you might have heard of the Belhar Confession before, and that's because in 2009, the Christian Reformed Church was invited to consider making this Belhar Confession the fourth confession of our church. We didn't do that. Instead, we made it something called an ecumenical faith declaration, which it turns out means nothing to anyone. I found out at Synod this year. And so uh, we're being asked to reconsider that move. And instead of making it a confession, which has binding power on what... uh, people in the church are allowed to do, for instance, office bearers in particular, people like me and the elders and deacons, we are being urged to consider making it something called a contemporary testimony, like our world belongs to God, which we have used parts of in our worship services over the course of the last couple of years. Our world belongs to God and our contemporary testimony. So we've got creeds that are wide, right? The Christian church. And then we've got confessions that are a little more narrow. So the Belgic Confession, the Canons of Dort, and the Heidelberg Catechism are all confessions of the Reformed Church. So they're not unique to us. And then we've got something a little bit more narrow called the contemporary testimony, which we say are statements and beliefs and practices that speak specifically to issues of our time, to challenges that we are facing in this cultural atmosphere. And although the Belhar Confession was written in a different, a different cultural time and a different place, does the themes that we will encounter as we read this document together speak to something that we as a North American church need to hear and to practice and believe? That's the question that we want to get at over the next number of days. So keep in mind that all of these documents, no matter what they are out of those categories, are communal. They are not something somebody wrote on their own. They were written through the Spirit's guidance of a community of people 
They help us to catch the vision of the grand narrative of God and help us to understand what it means to follow God and who God is. Now, you might come from a place where things like no creed but Christ is the theme. Here's the thing. Here's what I have come to appreciate about these confessions and creeds and testimonies. These documents that help us to catch that grand picture, to help us to see the full story of God, help us to stay away from this piecemeal approach to cherry-picking scripture passages and callings from God. They help us to remember that what we want is not what's most important. But what God is doing is where we should be too. And there are ways for us to humble ourselves and to be united with the church across time to gain and learn from the wisdom of others and to join in the public witness of things that truly matter. Confessions are the way that we read in in Article 1. Confessions are a way for God to gather in unity and protect his church by keeping its teachings focused on what God teaches us in Scripture. And this is work, this work of gathering, protecting, and caring that God has always been about. And that this is work that God, as we read in Article 5, is calling his church to be about. So what is it in particular about the Belhar that might speak to our time and place? Well, first, the Belhar Confession comes from South Africa comes from a city called Belhar. It's a suburb. It comes from two churches that were uniting against the law. The white Reformed Church in South Africa and the black Reformed Church in South Africa had come to be convicted of their sinfulness and allowing the segregation of apartheid to keep them apart. And they were uniting in the 1980s, early 1980s, before apartheid was ruled, was taken out of law in the early 1990s. So they were committing themselves to the work of the unity of the church, following the calling of Christ and the conviction of their wrongdoing, believing that they had not been faithful witnesses to who God wants us to be. And so they wrote this confession confession also of sin, but this confession of what Scripture teaches us about unity and reconciliation and justice. Do those things still matter today? And I'm here to tell you, even if you haven't read the other confessions and creeds, I'm here to tell you that those themes are missing from the creeds and confessions that we do have. They're hit on here and there in little bits and pieces, but they are not addressed head-on in the same way that they are in the Belhar. And in fact, the Belhar, as it's written and as we will see over the next number of weeks, is a confession, a catechism, a canon, and a public testimony all in one. It's a document that helps us to understand that 
truth that there is no longer these walls of separation that we can put up between brothers and sisters in Christ. And with the hope that if the church is more unified and it's breaking down and fighting of racism and prejudice and segregation, then perhaps they can do some good in a world that is fueled by it. And it's a document that helps us see that we are indeed called to fight for and protect that unity and that picture of the church, that picture that we get in Revelation of people of every nation, tribe, and tongue worshiping and praising God is not meant just for what's to come, but is meant to be what we understand the church to be now. And that reconciliation is about forgiving one another just as the Lord has forgiven us. So we must also forgive. But reconciliation is not just about forgiveness. Reconciliation is also about bearing with one another. Of bearing with one another the burdens of things like systemic, institutionalized laws of racism and prejudice and social class distinctions and separations. Things that Christ says no to, but the world says yes to. So to bear with those who are working against that as well as bearing with those who are suffering under it. And justice, this call, this call to bring more equality and opportunity is what it means to teach and admonish one another. Because if there is a lack of justice happening, there is more than likely someone who is getting a fair, sh- a larger portion of the fair shake than they actually realize. And as we teach and admonish one another with all the wisdom of God, and as we seek justice, we let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. Remember the December 18th sermon about peace? The same message here. To allow ourselves in the bearing with one another to experience discomfort for the sake of the well-being and the being brought to healing and wholeness of someone else. So we learn from the wisdom of others when we follow and read creeds and confessions. We bear with one another when we share in their passion to seek what is wrong to be turned right in the name of Jesus. And we ourselves are invited to stand for what Christ stands for. Now, that's not to say that there isn't going to be some things that you read and wonder about in the Belhar Confession. And that's not to say that you're going to think that it's maybe as pertinent to our time and place. But I hope that over the next number of weeks, we identify and see that the call to unity and reconciliation and justice is one that is necessary for us to be reminded of. That this is a deeply rooted 
scriptural message to guide us in how we think about our politics, how we think about our economics, how we think about our school systems, how we think about our churches. And if we are transformed as a community, we may just find the calling of transformation that Christ wants to do in our city, in our nation, and in this world. The creeds and the confessions have the power to lift us out of just our solitary existence, our day-to-day life, where faith matters so much, don't get me wrong, but it allows us to think beyond ourselves and our needs to what the world needs and what Jesus is offering to that world. It gives us a language with which to talk. It gives us a, a picture to work towards. Okay, so we're going to practice a little bit now. And we're going to stand to say together what we believe about the church from the Belgic Confession, Article 27. So we'll get it up on the screen. So go ahead and stand. And when we think about this, this is, this is us here right now. And this is people around the world right now. This is people in other churches in this city right now. This is what we believe. This is the picture of the church. So let's say together, we believe and confess one single Catholic or universal church, a holy congregation and gathering of true Christian believers awaiting their entire salvation in Jesus Christ, being washed by his blood and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Oh, I forgot sealed. Sorry about that. We'll keep going. This church has existed from the beginning of the world and will last until the end, as appears from the fact that Christ is eternal king who cannot be without subjects. And this holy church is preserved by God against the rage of the whole world, even though for a time it may appear very small in the eyes of men, as though it were snuffed out. For example, during the very dangerous time of Ahab, the Lord preserved for himself 7,000 men who would not bend their knees to Baal. And so this holy church is not confined, found, or limited to a certain place or certain persons, but it is spread and dispersed throughout the entire world, those still joined and united in heart and will in one and the same spirit by the power of faith. So by saying those words, we can take great joy in knowing that other people in the city are gathered for worship that is different than our own because we are still united by the Holy Spirit. We can take great joy in knowing that that's the truth around the world and we can take great sadness in knowing that there are many people who are being kept from being able 
to do this because of the rage of the world. And then we can answer God's call to be part of trying to bring peace to those places so that others will know the protection and gathering of God for their good as he preserves his church. Truths that we have heard now in the Belhar Confession and in the Belgic Confession, which we already subscribe to and hold to. So as we continue to explore these things, you're welcome to look up the Belhar Confession online, or if you really do want to take your pew cards, you can. We'll make new ones if you want to read ahead. Uh, we won't be going in these, the set order of the document, but we will be covering all of the sections. And then next week we'll start to have opportunity for more conversation after the service. After today's service, if you are in need of prayer, there will be people here at the front who will pray with you. We also hope that some of you or many of you will be coming back this afternoon at 1.30 to, to celebrate and remember Norman Ruschek at his funeral today or his celebration of life service. And until we meet again, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. Amen.